Hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Culture Consultants Podcast, a show where I interview CEOs with proven successful work cultures and dive deep into how they achieved a healthy work environment for their people that, in turn, benefited their bottom line. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to introduce to you retired Brigadier General Rob Novotny. He had the command here at Nellis Air Force Base, which is near dear to me because we both live here. But I wanted you to kind of introduce yourself, let people know what you have going on right now. Cool. Hi, Brittany. Hi, everybody. It's it's great to be a part of your podcast. And uh, and I think your subject matter and material is, is really relevant today. Because um, uh, if you don't have a good culture, you're not going to get done the things you want to get done. But uh, so just like you said, I just retired from the United States Air Force. I had a I had a really um, long, and I was very blessed to have a great career. I had a bunch of great mentors, and I had a bunch of great people who worked with me and for me, and uh, I wound up retiring as a Brigadier General. Uh, I was a wing commander twice, so commanded uh, Nellis, all the flying and maintenance portions of Nellis, so the Thunderbirds, um, which, you know, the helmet right behind me, the uh, Air Force Weapons School, red flag, green flag, uh, things of that nature, huge maintenance organization, uh, both contract, civilian, and of course, active duty. Uh, I was a wing commander at RAF Lake and Heath uh, back from 2014 to 2016. It was, was one of my most favorite assignments of all time. I got to be a group commander here at Nellis as well, doing uh, operational tests. So commanded all the operational test pilots. And then I was a squadron commander uh, in Okinawa, Japan for the 67th Fighter Squadron. Uh, it was kind of my first uh, taste of command. And then I did a bunch of other things that they make uh, old guys like me go do like school and staff and, and things like that too. So I read about your career as well, you know, online and it's really inspiring. I, of course, we all know that aviation is my background in terms of you know, aircraft maintenance and flight attendant. And you said Okinawa and that's near and dear to my heart. We took the F-22s there back in the day uh, from Holloman Air Force Base. And I am obsessed with Okinawa. So I'm super jealous you got to live there. I lived there twice. My daughter was born there as well. So we loved it. Nice. I just missed the scuba diving and everything about that. So, I mean, you say that was one of the first times that you took uh, command at a, a base. Um, so when you were early on in, in your career, you know, compared to when you retired as a brigadier general, you know, did you feel at that position, maybe what was that like major at that time? At Lieutenant Colonel. Lieutenant Colonel. Do you feel at that time that you could make effective change at that level? I mean, Lieutenant Colonel is pretty up there. Eventually, Yes. You know, the squadron that uh, that I wound up being the squadron commander for, I, I'd been in that squadron before for three years from um, 2000 to 2003. We had a fantastic culture. Um, we wound up deploying the war together to Operation Iraqi Freedom. We, we set records. We did some amazing things. And we wound up winning uh, what's called the Hughes Trophy or the Raytheon Trophy for the number one fighter squadron in the Air Force for 2003. And I was the chief of weapons <clears throat> with a bunch of other captains and we had a great we had a great leadership team that empowered us at the lowest levels and trusted our guidance and uh you know gave us some bump steers from time to time and maybe we didn't see the whole picture from the commander's perspective but it was always uh motivating and encouraging and so when i went back to be a now operations officer and then the subsequently commander the culture had really changed a lot uh you know, the military, we, we, we rotate about a third of each unit out every year. And uh, culture's not something you just kind of like wind it up and let it go. You, you got to nurture it and you got to pick the weeds out and you got to fertilize it. And 
and all that stuff. And so that had, you know, changed in the time that I'd been gone. And, and when I came back, I found it was a significantly different place. And so uh, very arrogant, uh, very uh, full of themselves. I like to say that they could really talk the talk, but they couldn't walk the walk. They weren't really respected on the base very much. And so uh, for me, w- one of the very first things I wanted to do was to bring back a uh, uh, a more humble culture, uh, focused on winning, focused on walking the walk, um, not just talking the talk. And, uh, and that took a, took a while, you know, it, 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 I, I don't, like I said, I don't think you ever finish developing an organization's culture. You can definitely make some big, big changes early on. I, I like to say, you got to be careful though. Uh, you know, imagine you're driving, um, a huge cruise ship, and if you really hard over the rudder, you know all the deck chairs are going to fall off. They're going to go in the ocean. So, right. so you got to be a little careful how you how you're coming in and and doing that. So we did make some good changes. Uh, we had a little bit of rebellion in the very beginning. Uh, fortunately, none of it was armed, <laughs> and uh, and we were able to you know convince people that this was this was a good culture to have. Uh, and then it started to stick. And then, you know, we were able to do some really great things in my last year. And then what's amazing is that three years after that, they won the Raytheon trophy two of the three years. So, you know, when you hire the right people, when you institute good practices, when you show, I think, you know, here's kind of the right way to treat each other. Here's the right way we have really high standards. Here's how we hold ourselves accountable professionally. Um, once you get it ingrained, it'll stick for a little while. And, and the proof was in the pudding there that that squadron did fantastic for the next several years. I love how that you brought up that, you know, it's, it's never ending really. You always have to, like you said, you know, continually grow it and just make sure it's going on the right track. You know, I completely know for, from experience that there have been wing commanders that have inherited or even, you know, squadron commanders that have inherited bad cultures, you know, they had to go and fix what was broken and that's completely doable. Like you said, it just takes time. Um, I would much rather be in that situation for me personally. I've, I've followed um, a few leaders that were, some were successful and some were maybe not as successful. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't necessarily attribute that to the individual leaders, but the environment um, that they were in, you know, sometimes you're uh, sometimes you get a mismatch between the capability of, of a leader and the environment that they're leading in, and, and maybe the tools that you hired that individual to, to utilize aren't, may not be applicable or the environment's changed. And so uh, I was fortunate to, to kind of fall into a couple situations where there was no place to go but up, and um, and, it, and the things that we did worked, and, and so I like to, you know, and then, and then you move on to the next organization, and you know, when I came to Nellis, I tried to replicate a lot of things I did in England. And very early on, I learned, okay, that, that's not going to work. Those, those those tools are good, but this is not the right environment. I need to change my tool set or I'm going to just, you know, beat my head against the wall and we're not going to get anywhere. It's a continuous like pivot. You know, all the things that are happening in today's age with, you know, we continuously have to pivot or we're going to be like the next blockbuster and go out of business. It's the same with, you know, work culture. And, you know, you being a pilot and you've had, of course, you know, maintenance squadrons underneath you, that complexity of ops and maintenance, you know, I wanted to bring that up that, you know, especially being deployed when you're there, everyone gets a sense of mission. You know, when 15s or 16s go up in the sky, loaded and ready to go do the voodoo that you do, and they come back down and the weapons are gone, that makes maintenance, you know, feel like they've been a part of something. 
And, you know, so there's good, bad, and ugly within ops and maintenance and just the relationship. Uh, you know, can you talk to that relationship? Because I know a lot of maintenance would love to hear your perspective. Yeah. So I'll tell you a story about that. Um, so we're at Lake and Heath. Uh, we've gotten the uh, assignment from the president and the prime minister of England that we're going to take four fully loaded strike eagles, F-15Es, and we're going to fly from Lake and Heath down to Libya. And we're going to kill several ISIS fighters that the intelligence community has found. And we've been on the hunt for these really bad men for a long time. In that situation, we were at home, but deployed, right? Mm-hmm. Because we, we now had this vibe. Right. And everybody, we, 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 we sat down at the wing level, we laid out the path, we, we cleared away all the stupid stuff. Every single person knew what their role was in the focus. And, uh, and just the, the funny, interesting part of the story was to, to connect the dots there is, so I'm standing at the duty desk in the, in the 492nd Fighter Squadron, and we're watching live predator feed of our strike eagles, at, you know, dropping bombs on the target in Libya. So it's like two o'clock in the morning. And sitting, uh, you know, they've done their mission. They've, they've kind of watched the target after they've destroyed it, and they're on their way home. And so the, in the meantime, the whole area is packed with maintainers because I've told as I'm the wing commander. I said, Hey, I want all the crew chiefs. I want all everybody that's out there to come up and watch this feed. Ooh. And I had a young major patchware get up and brief them the whole plan. Who's here's who we're targeting. And here's what we did. And everybody like kind of erupted when the, when the bombs hit the target and they knew that they'd accomplished the mission and they were on the way home. So I, I make a kind of an announcement to everybody, you know, Hey, thanks. This, you've done it. We're not, we're almost there. They're on their way home. Um, and I look over at the AMXS, the aircraft maintenance squadron commander, and I said, hey, why don't you send all your, you know, let's send the shift home. This is like day shift, and it's like 3 o'clock in the morning now, and they've been working like 14 hours. And there's a young girl next to me. She's a two-striper. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a crew chief. She's maybe been at Lake and Heath for, you know, a year, right? right. She's right, first assignment. She's been there for a year. And so I tell the AMXS commander, I'm like, hey, send all your folks home. Let's just make sure everybody gets home safe. Everybody's work long days and all that stuff. And, and then let's everybody, you know, we'll reconvene tomorrow and then we'll reconstitute the wing. And she, she immediately, she's in between me and the AMXS commander, right? And she goes to Colonel DePorter, who's the AMXS commander, and goes, hey, sir, I, I'm not going home. That, that's, my, that's my jet. That's my pilot. Uh, and I'm going to be here to catch them when they get home. Oh. And the AMXS commander immediately looks at me now because he knows that she's, She's going to be work. She's going to work 18 hours, right? Right. And I simply looked at him and I said, "You're the squadron commander. I want everybody to get home alive, safe, and sound. Fingers, eyeballs, toes. And if you can do that, then then you're in charge. Go for it." And I walked out of the room. Sure mm-hmm. enough, she worked and caught that jet and and high five those crews and all that stuff. And so for us in England, that was a really special time because. Unlike, you know, when you're home and you're in the training environment, there is that there is a division of there's a little bit of comp- competing priorities. Right. Ops wants deliveries. They want lines. Maintenance has their own battle rhythm. They're doing training. They're just doing day to day work. They're trying to preserve fleet statistics and things of that nature, all of which are both very important you know, tasks. Right. And then you, when you bring it all together and you focus on one mission, everybody can come together and stuff. So that's, that's my little story about that. And it was just really, I wound up having to coin her and I coined another crew chief who came to work with a broken foot and was on crutches <laughs> launching his jet out. Cause he said, I'm not going to sit this one out. I'm going to launch that airplane out. So. Oh my but, God. 
<laughs> Everyone who can't see me, I have goosebumps and I'm all in my feels right now because that, that, if that's not proof of concept that a mission, you know, whether it's in the military or outside, the mission matters. And when you get people to focus on the mission, look what they do. If, you know, even from a corporate perspective, if people don't understand the mission, then it's just all willy nilly and people are just, okay, we're here, I'm getting a paycheck. But if you get them excited about the mission, this is the type of thing that happens. I've heard it referred to as strategic alignment. Yes. Right? Super fancy terms. But basically, your youngest employee who may have no idea what his or her role is in the organization mm-hmm. has to know what the what the overall purpose of the organization is you know what's the grand picture and how they fit into it so um we were very fortunate to connect a lot of people i talked to every als class you know here's how you fit into the mission and i'm you know really happy you brought that up and thank you for doing what you did because it really mattered to the morale of people you know especially i can say that from the enlisted enlisted side that when we had leaders like you it really incentivized us to bust our ass that's that's just really the truth the numbers you know i'll tell you Brittany, that the when when we got to lake and heath we were doing weekend duty seven days a month so you know for your audience that maybe doesn't know that those are additive days of work in order to recover from a week of operations. So the jets, the jets fly hard during the week and then they wind up breaking a little bit harder towards the end of the week. Just uh-huh. get, they get tired. And then you're calling in weekend duty shifts for men and women to come in and work overtime. Of course you don't get paid overtime, but mm-hmm. to work extra duty days on the weekends to, to, to reconstitute the fleet so that on Monday you can start burning down that, those, those airplanes again. Right. So we got to Lake and Ethan, it was seven days a month was the average. 18 months into command, we were down to 0.7 days per month with a stronger, healthier fleet. And all the pilots and the air crew were making their numbers. And we were actually taking ute days. So we were taking a day off per month because maintenance and ops had made their contracts. So wow. we were taking a, a day off uh, to celebrate, you know, to really kind of, you know, hate working hard. So right. we actually got to a point where we were working harder producing more mission yet not working on the weekends, getting a day off. Yeah. And the morale was through the roof because everybody was, everybody was connected. So I, and you know, I, I'd like to take credit for that. I, I don't, I, I had great subordinate leaders and we all came up with a plan and, and they executed it, you know. Incentives really do matter, you know, especially from the top. It, it's, it's the little things, you know, that some people don't realize even that, you know, day off when you could give that, that, boosts morale like crazy like wow our leadership sees you know what we're doing like i can speak from experience that back in the day uh with f-22s we had to really focus on wres which for the rest of you is war ready engines and i came back from oki we had we were down we needed to get things real up and we were just busting them out busting them out busting them out and we were being quick thorough safe about it but we were you know really doing it fast and we got our numbers way up over the wre level and Finally, you know, that was 12s and weekends and everything. We get it done and our air quotes leadership decided that they were, they were not, that wasn't good enough. And they, they bumped the WRE up even more with no real, no, they even tell us the why. Sometimes that's a big thing too. Why are we doing this? It's just like, no, you you just keep going. And it's like, because they're like, oh, huh? 
They move the goalposts on you. Yes, without even giving us a why or, or a break or anything. And then it was just like, are you kidding me right now? Like people, where's the incentive? Where's at least the respect of the why? It's just like, nope, do it. Like <laughs> there's levels to this and you, yes, we got to do what we got to do and we're in the military, so get over it. But at the, there's something to be said about giving your people a why. Yeah, you you can get by with, an absence of mission focus and why for a little bit of time. Right. But don't, and we all do that. We've all been there where you, you show up in a new organization that is grinding hard on a project or a business deal or, a, and, and you haven't really connected with the team and also, and you're going to, you're going to double down and work really hard, but eventually if you want to sustain that or grow that or improve that, you've got, you've got to connect everybody to the organization's ultimate mission. So yeah, you can do that for a short amount of time, like 48 hours a week. Um, but that's going to come with substantial costs if you don't go back and tend that garden and really work on your folks. I concur. <laughs> Co-sign like crazy. Thank you. <laughs> um, one of the other things I wanted to bring up is that, you know, you talked about Lake and Heath and which is in England for everyone. And then you've been in Japan and a few other places. In terms of like the culture of where you are and the work culture within work, there are complexities there. And I didn't know if you could touch on that for us because I feel like it does matter. Absolutely. Right. Um, in particular, in particular, our, our, you know, the military has for a long time, you know, really considered itself a family where we involved kids and spouses. And I mean, we've spent, you know, billions of federal dollars creating communities on these bases, child development centers and hospitals and military family housing and, you know, shopping and restaurants and stuff like that. Uh, in the United States, in particular, you know, there's unbelievable competition normally downtown um, for people to have lives. And, and so, for, for example, in Las Vegas, we have a really hard time getting people to live on base because people want to live in Las Vegas. They want to live in a nice community. They want a pool. Um, Obviously, schools, uh, spouse, ed, you know, uh, employment opportunities are huge. Not live and on that side of times, town. Huh? Not live on that side of town. And a lot of times, bases are built in very industrial areas where you don't have those kinds of opportunities. And so, uh, conversely, overseas, when you think about, you know, Osan, which is in South Korea, or Masawa, which is in northern Japan, or Okinawa, which is on a little tiny island in the tropics, essentially, or, or England... Um, and in this case, Lake and Heath, which is really kind of out in farm country, it's not really close to any major cities. Uh, there's a much higher propensity for people to live on base. Um, the schools are usually on base. Spouse employment opportunities tend to be not really not really available mm -hmm. off base. So there's so there's a lot more opportunity to live on base. And when you do that, um, now you're living and working together. I, I do think the culture is dramatically different. Um, it. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily dramatically better. It, that still needs to be tended to as well, right? So if you have an open and embracing and supportive and resilient um, culture for your families, then then living on base will be a party. It'll be a great time. Yes. Um, uh, but if you turn into the drama magnet where everybody's talking about everybody, there's trust issues, uh, people are overworked and tired, then then it, it it's almost like you never get away from work. And so uh, the, the two are definitely connected, um, without a doubt. In, you know, in the United States, you kind of drive away from work. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that 
it, you know, kind of stacks the deck against you a little bit because now you're slightly more disconnected. The families aren't bought in, in a lot of ways when they're, when their service member goes off to work or works a 12 hour shift or, or goes on a business trip or goes, you know, on a deployment, you, you lack some of that connected tissue as well. So it's definitely something to be cognizant of and you got to work on that side too. And we talked a little beforehand and we we're going to bring it up during the podcast. So when you got out, you have also now experienced a toxic CEO. How'd, how'd that go? It was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, weird. There's a lot of conversation about toxic, toxic leadership in the military. So I've only personally seen like one person that was a toxic leader in the military, in my opinion, that, that I fortunately didn't work for, but worked with. And this person was a higher ranking um, officer than me. So, uh, there's a lot of deference to rank and structure. And, and so that toxic leadership made itself around. I, I, I feel like sometimes there's people that are just tough bosses and, and, and the word toxic gets substituted into it. And I'm not certain that's toxic leadership at all. There, it's one thing to work for a tough and a demanding uh, boss. And, and maybe they don't have a great personality. You know, right. maybe, maybe they're kind of an introvert. That doesn't mean they're toxic. It just means they're not the best leader, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, I, 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 so when I retired, I was, I was ready to go and, and, uh, uh, jumped in with this, uh, small kind of startup company been around for a few years. And, um, uh, the CEO had, you know, hopefully offered me some opportunities to, to come in into a leadership role and early on, you know, the honeymoon stage, it was okay. It was fine. Uh, but after that, I just started seeing some decisions that were being made, the way people were being treated, um, the way people were talked to. Uh, that was really mind blowing for me. Mm-hmm. To I'll, I'll give you an example. We had this we had this great older woman that was um, she was a, an accountant for us in the company. She's very very proud of her Jewish heritage and uh, was had Yom Kippur was coming up and mm-hmm. and had, she'd come to me and said, "Hey, I'm going to take Yom Kippur off." And I said, "That's great. You know, it's Friday. Um, we're a high tech company, and you do all your." work through the, you know, through the internet and online. So if we need something, you know, we'll call you or we'll just, you know, check an email a little bit during, you know, once or twice during the day, but enjoy your, enjoy your time off. Right. No big deal. I mean, either we're an emerging high tech company and we can handle that or we can't. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the, the CEO of the company found out that, the, that she was taking Yom Kippur off and he hadn't approved it. And so as she came back to work, he, he kind of gave her a, a quite a bit of the riot act and made her dock her pay you know, I was flabbergasted, right? And I was like, well, you know, okay, this is how we get sued, right? Here's, right. here's how we, and as a corporate officer, you're like, okay, here we go, here we get sued. Wow. You know, I can't tell you how many times I watched uh, people get berated on email mm-hmm. uh, when there were other people on the email. First of all, don't berate somebody on email, right? No. Don't, you know, yes. call them in the office, treat them professionally. Here's where you're failing to meet standards. Here's what the standards are. Here's some things I need you to do to raise your standard. Now get back to work, right? Uh, but berating on, you know, video conferencing in front of other people. So, so there was never a, uh, you know, what is it? Praise in public and punish in private kind of mm-hmm. mindset. It was kind of the opposite. And it was just, it was horrible. It only, so fortunately it was a short marriage for me and uh, we wound up leaving the company. And so everybody else has to, uh, I mean, the company's really, uh, there's nobody really working there anymore. I mean, if if that doesn't scream, you know, why culture matters, you know, I, I don't know what does, you know, and we talked about like when I had worked for that CEO and people told, heard me talk about, 
But just real quick, like if you're spitting in people's faces and while you're screaming at them, this is toxic. And to your point, I I completely agree. I think that toxic is an overused term and it's like many trends today, it's something that people overuse and don't, they forget the definition of what it really is and they right. use it too much. So I agree. Um, when you got, you're getting spit in your face and you're, we're not in basic training. This slamming the doors, slamming the doors and the ceiling tiles falling down. Here's a good way. I think, uh, Brittany, for, for your audience to go, are they in a toxic leadership or not? Right. Mm-hmm. And, or they're in a toxic environment. If you're driving to work and you feel like you're going to vomit. Yes. <laughs> you're probably in a toxic leadership environment. Right? And that's how, that's how I got, I mean, I'm 50 years old. And I'm, uh, you know, uh, you know, I was, I was very fortunate to have a successful military career. I've led massive organizations, yeah. you know, 10,000, 15,000 people been in combat, been shot at on the ground, in the air. Not a lot really bothers me a whole lot. Right. But when I was driving to work mm-hmm. and my stomach was turning knots, I was like, this is not, this is not what this is supposed to be like. So. No, I completely agree with you. That's a, a perfect example. I use it as well because it's, it, we shouldn't be doing that to our people. No. That you're not going to get productivity if your people are nauseous coming to work. <laughs> Just it's not going to happen. So um, one of my last questions I ask all CEOs is having a good work culture, what problem does that solve? What problems does it solve? Mm-hmm. I tell you what problem it creates. <laughs> I mean good a good work. Let me flip it around. I'll yes. tell you the problem it creates. The problem it creates is it's going to show you that you didn't set your 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 bar high enough. Think about think about those work environments where you've been where the the water cooler talk is about the bosses and not in a good way. Oh, she said that to me, and he said that to her, and and did you hear uh, Johnny got promoted? But everybody knows Johnny's a bum at work, and 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 Sally got a raise. But everybody knows Sally's never, you know what I mean? You know, somebody's helping her with her work, right? That's a bad culture. And so productivity plummets. Drama goes through the roof, right? Trust is eroded. Um, And, 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 you know, and and generally, you know, people become clock watchers. They're going to go home exactly at the minute they're going to go home. They're not going to, they're not going to proofread that that report one more time. They're not going to double check the numbers one more time. Pride is going to plummet, which means the quality of the work is going to, is going to go down as well. So those are the things that, that a good work culture will solve. Um, because now when people are driving to work and they're like, I'm ready to get to work. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all been there. We, we've all been there knowing that there's a ton of work for us when we get into the office, but when you're driving and you actually are looking forward to it, um, which many, I was very blessed in many cases, I was driving to work as a, in, in an organization and said, wow, I got a lot to do today. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Like I'm going to be busy. Right. Um, that's exciting. Right. You're, you're like, Hey, we're, we're getting things done. We're moving the ball forward. We're taking care of people. We're advancing the mission. So a good work culture is you're driving to work and you feel, you feel amped up. You're like, ready to go. I don't need coffee. Let's get to work. <laughs> you're not, you're not sitting around the water cooler talking about human drama you're talking around the water cool about how to be more productive you're talking about how to fix uh this problem in the organization and make it better you're talking about how to improve each other and how to come together and and you know those are the kind of work environments where people go out and they go get some you know they go get a beer after work mm-hmm. you know or or those are the kind of places where they go hey let's let's really you know 
um, let's celebrate our accomplishments and let's set a, a, a better target for next quarter. Anyway, what, what does it solve? It solves all the things that keep you from being successful. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> the best answer so far. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you so much again for being on the show. Please, everyone, check out his company. Links will be in all of the bios. So again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Brittany. I really want to thank everyone for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Subscribe and stay tuned for more thought-provoking content. If you'd like to check out my website, workcultureconsultant.com, feel free to leave feedback and send ideas for the show. Thanks again, and I'll talk to your faces later.